And tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. What happens when the Spirit comes in power? Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus speaking to his disciples and said, Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. Jesus was telling his disciples that there was going to be a period of time of waiting, tarrying, until the Holy Spirit would come in power. Now this is interesting because before this point, the disciples had seen the power of God at work. They'd seen it in Jesus' ministry, but also they'd seen it in their own ministry. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick in Jesus' name. Uh, they, they had preached the gospel and seen the power of the Holy Spirit bring people to repentance. They'd seen all those things, and Jesus even breathed upon them, and they felt the power of the Holy Spirit come into their lives in John's gospel. But none of that was what Jesus was speaking about when he spoke about the Spirit coming in power. Even though they'd seen all that power, and it was the Holy Spirit, it was not the power that was going to come on Pentecost. They were pre-Pentecostals at this time. There's a lot of talk in our circles and prayer about God send revival, in other words, come in power by your Holy Spirit, and come right now. But although people are praying and believing God and often prophesying about the Holy Spirit coming afresh in power in Britain, in Europe, or wherever they may be talking about, often they think of the Spirit coming in power with rose-tinted glasses. Uh, they've read the books on the revival. I've written one myself. You can get it for three pounds on the history of revivals through Great Britain. And they've seen those books, and those books are good because they give a, give a taste of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. But unfortunately, those books, and even my own, tend to give the high points and the highlights of when the Holy Spirit comes in power and don't particularly prepare us for when he does come in power. And so when I've heard people tell me uh, about their current situation, ministers, and say, you know, really believing, Bruce, that God is going to send revival to our church. And I look at them and I think, well, I know you. I pray that he doesn't send revival to your church. You say, that's a strange bit of a rude thing to pray against somebody else who wants revival to come to their church. But you see, I'm asking myself, are they ready for what happens when the Spirit comes in power? Do they even know what they're praying for? Do they know the type of preparation that needs to go on in the heart that when the power of God, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, that that power does not ruin the people that it comes to? Not that the power ruins it, but the people's hearts ruins it. Or that when that power is re released, that it will be properly stewarded by the people that it is being released to and through. So what happens? What can we expect? And how can we prepare for when the Holy Spirit comes in power? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit 
intends to come in power in the next few months, days, years, maybe decades, I don't know when, but I believe that what we should be doing is preparing ourselves for when the Holy Spirit comes in power. You say, well, what if we prepare ourselves and the Holy Spirit doesn't come in power in our generation? Well, in that case, I would say to you that the pursuit of revival is an end in itself until the Holy Spirit comes in power. You say, what do you mean the pursuit of revival until it comes is an end in itself? Well, if you are preparing your life for the Holy Spirit to come in power, then you will be cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is doing right now until he comes in power. Let me explain a little bit more. Let's turn to the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Verse 1. Now when we speak about the Holy Spirit coming in power and falling in power, we often use rain motifs, rain illustrations. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. We get chapters, prophetic chapters like Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 saying, pray for the uh, pray for rain in the time of the latter rain. We know that James speaks that we should be like the farmer who is patient for the former and the latter rain. So when we speak about the Holy Spirit, one of these symbols is that he comes like rain. And in Mark chapter 4, we have the parable of the sower. You might know it well, and uh, we can read from verse 3. Listen and take note. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the path, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and soon it sprang up because it did not have deep soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded grain that sprang up and increased by thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold. The disciples didn't quite what, understood what he meant by it, so in verse 13 he explained, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are those beside the path where the word is sown. But when they hear... Satan comes immediately and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. Otherwise, likewise, are seeds sown in the rocky ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, but have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution rises for the word's sake, immediately they fall away. And others are seeds sown among the thorns, the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Still others are seed sown on good ground. Those who hear the word and receive it and bear fruit 30, 60 or a hundred times as much. In this parable we see the word of God as seed. All the seed is fine, there's nothing wrong with the seed. And this seed is sown indiscriminately by the sower. He's just flinging it out. 
sowing where he can, just letting the sow. Wherever he gets a chance, he's sowing the seed. We see that the sowed, so the, the seed falls on different types of soil. That's the parable. The soil is the hearts of people. And then we see that when the seed begins to germinate and begins to grow, we begin to see that depending on the state of the heart depends on whether there is a fruitful harvest or not. Some seed is immediately lifted off by Satan. Some seed only goes so deep. Uh, It seems uh, as that seed sprouts, it seems like there's going to be a wonderful harvest, but it's not deep enough. And so uh, it, it, it doesn't produce. Others, where they seem to ha- receive it when afflictions and trials come, it bears no fruit. Others, uh, the cares and the desires of this world stops the fruit. But others, there's incredible and amazing hundredfold fruit. Now, what has this got to do with when the Spirit comes in power? Well, you see, when these seeds are sown, what is needed for a seed to germinate, for it to germinate into a shoot and eventually to grow and become ready for harvest, what is needed, we've got the soil, what is now needed is the rain. The rain. The rain has to touch that seed and set about that chemical reaction that produces germination. And then that water needs to keep falling so that those seeds grow. Now, when the spirit comes in power... It's like a monsoon on a desert land. Uh, I remember in a book on revival early on in the 1900s, it spoke about a a system called, I think it was El Nino in South America. And this is when we get uh, different shifts of warm currents and you get torrential rain coming over areas of South America. And in in one of these great ones, in 1904, um, it was such a powerful move of rain that areas that hadn't been touched by rain in South America for 200 years finally got rained upon. When that rain came, there were seeds that had lied dormant for hundreds of years, just lying there dormant in the dry, and then when the rain came, they suddenly began to spring up, and the reports were were was in a couple of days desert that had been desert land for decades and centuries suddenly blossomed and and, and the whole atmosphere and environment changed. This is why there's prophecies in the Old Testament about God changing the, the wilderness and the desert with wonderful rain and great pools of water into amazing fruitful with vegetation. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, he comes like like the latter rain in great rain. And that means that when he comes, all these seeds that are sown, that are lying dormant, then suddenly they begin to grow in rapidity that's not seen during normal periods without the Holy Spirit coming in Pentecost. We just have to look at the day of Pentecost. I mean, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And all those seeds that that were sown in this person or that person, the seeds of God, by the end of the day, 5,000 people had got saved. And then in the coming days, thousands more people, 3,000 people were getting saved. But within a few days, 5,000 were in the church, just like that. Because the rain came and everything was accelerated. When we go, I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 for another parable. 
Matthew 13, 24. He told another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. But when the shoots had sprung up and produced fruit, the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? He said to them, An enemy did this. The servant said to him, Will you have us go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather the weeds, you pull up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather up the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Again, we've got this picture, this kingdom picture of the seed. But in this picture... We have uh, a field, and it's got different seed in it. It's got kingdom seed, but it's also got the seed of the enemy, unrighteous seed. Righteous seed and unrighteous seed. And note that the same conditions that come to grow the righteous seed into a righteous harvest are exactly the same conditions that also grow the unrighteous seed, these weeds, these tares that are sown. So the same environment that's conducive for growth of righteous seed in this parable is also conducive in growth for unrighteous seed. Where am I going in this? Well, if I was to sum up what I want to say this evening about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power, I would sum it up like this. Three things are magnified, manifested, excited and intensified when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Let me say that again. Three things are magnified, manifested, intensified and excited when the Holy Spirit comes in power. The first thing that is magnified, manifested, intensified and excited is the work of the seed of God that is already at work. When the reign of God comes, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, that which is of God accelerates, that which is of God manifests, that which of God bears fruit like never before, that which is of God is intensified and excited and stimulated in increasing and amazing measure. Things that would take years take months in the things of God. Things that used to take months take weeks. Things that take weeks take days. Things that take hours take minutes. The Holy Spirit comes and the work of God is increased, magnified, accelerated, intensified and excited. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. But that's only the first thing that happens. The second thing that is magnified, manifested, intensified and excited by the uh, coming in power of the Holy Spirit is the seeds and the works of the flesh. The seeds and the works of the flesh. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, the work of God explodes, but also that which is fleshly. The seeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, 
ungodliness in the human heart, that which is sinful, that which is often hidden, is brought to light when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. When the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, you see the work of God accelerated and manifest like never before. But when the Holy Spirit comes in power, you begin to see what's really in human beings' hearts and what might be in seed form, jealousy or arrogance or lust. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, if those things are not dealt with, they suddenly accelerate, increase and intensify and manifest like never before. The final, the third thing that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes in power, we've said that the seeds of God and the work of God magnifies and grows. We've seen that that which is of the flesh, that which is of human sin and arrogance, etc., you know the works of the flesh, these also are intensified and magnified. And finally, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, the devil's work is increased and multiplied and magnified and excited. Not that the Holy Spirit does the devil's work and not that the Holy Spirit uh, is the author of the flesh. But what happens when he comes is that that which of the flesh reacts most violently to that which is of the spirit. Do I need to take you? Probably not to Galatians 5 where you see this intense battle between the spirit and the flesh. The Holy Spirit, the spirit wars against the and the flesh wars against the spirit. There is intense hostility between the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. Let me just say it this strongly. The Holy Spirit is very jealous over God's people. And the Holy Spirit hates with a passion you could not even possibly imagine. He hates the works of the flesh. But the works of the flesh, with a great passion too, hates the authentic work of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, that which is not dealt in the flesh of man, both non-Christian and Christian, if it's not dealt with and crucified, and, uh, it, then it rises up. And as the Holy Spirit rises up, so the flesh rises up. And also, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, the devil rises up to oppose it. We just have to think of, of Jesus. He just walked down a street and demons that had been deeply and almost secretly or silently embedded in people's lives, he'd be walking past and they'd be screaming out, screaming out. Jesus wasn't going speaking to the demons coming out most of the time. He just walked past him. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit was so powerful upon him that the demons couldn't cope with it. It caused them to manifest and to shout out. And that's why Jesus had such an incredible deliverance ministry when it came to demons. He didn't have to go finding demons. Demons just appeared wherever he was because of the intensity. Now you can have times of very low intensity of the Holy Spirit where people can carry their demons and the demons are very happy and the people are very happy. But when the Holy Spirit comes, these things become very, they're very excitable demons. 
when the Holy Spirit, if you've ever been in a place where the power of God's come, you find that the, the, the demons are very sensitive to that. Things where you don't even think they're demons, they'll pop up because of the intensity. Now this is important because I've said already that a lot of people, when they think of revival, they think it's like some sort of Disney tale, Disney fairy tale. That everything's wonderful, everything's glorious, and they don't realise the intensity of a time when the Holy Spirit is poured out. I'll give you some examples of this. I mentioned Jesus, but I won't go into detail, but I just want to show you this pattern. In Luke chapter 3, we have Jesus being baptised. Now, he's been around for about 30 years, and he's been walking in holiness, growing in wisdom and stature and understanding who he is, but it really begins to take place when he gets baptised in the river. And so he goes to be baptised by John, and John baptises him. And there it is in verse 21. He's baptised. The heavens were opened, you see. It's a picture. And the Holy Spirit descended a bodily form like a dove on him, and a voice came out from heaven which said, You are my beloved with you I'm well pleased. So at that moment, the Holy Spirit was poured out in power on Jesus, the Son of God. Now, you, you know that, the whole, that Jesus carried the Holy Spirit without measure. So it was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place at that moment. It wasn't just a man getting anointed with a special blessing. It was the Son of God who had a heart that was infinitely big enough to take an infinite outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it came upon him. The Holy Spirit came in power. The next thing we find in chapter 4, verse 1, that the first thing, in chapter 4, verse 1, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now Mark, Mark's gospel says this very powerful powerfully. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptised, as soon as the Holy Spirit was poured out with power on Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is ekbalo, from where we get the word ball, and it means thrown out. That the Holy Spirit threw or thrust Jesus in the most powerful way and threw him like a baseball being pitched right into the wilderness. So the first thing that took place when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus was that Jesus was thrust into the wilderness where he faced the testings of the devil. So there you see, we've got the power, and now already the devil is engaged. In chapter 4, verse 18... We have this wonderful manifesto of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed, empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He puts the book down or the scroll down and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then, if you go scroll down to verse 28, here we've got the manifestation of the flesh. Remember, 
When God pours out his spirit in power, the work of God increases rapidly. The flesh reacts violently and the devil increases his intensity. So here we have it. Verse 28, Luke 4. All those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled, not with the Holy Spirit, but with wrath, anger, one of the major works of the flesh. They rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down headlong. That's a bit of a violent reaction to someone's first sermon. But passing through the midst of them, what was that? God, the Holy Spirit, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. And right through the Gospels, this is what you see. You see that power of God at work, incredible, this manifesto in Luke taking place, the healings, the miracles, the forgiveness of sins, the touching of hearts. You're seeing the work of God as the Spirit comes in power. But also, you're constantly seeing the devil at work opposing Jesus, constantly. Uh, he even fills Judas's heart to betray him. But also you see the flesh often manifest in, in the powers and authorities that, that were there at the time. Not, not so much the common people, but the powers and the authorities that were there at the time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Her Herodians, the Romans. These people didn't like what they saw and the flesh rose up in them to attack the person that was carrying the power of God. See, this is why I was giving you those sort of parables to begin with, because conditions change when the Holy Spirit comes in power. It's not business as usual. In fact, it's quite a fearful thing to really understand and prepare yourself for the Holy Spirit to come in power. It isn't a trip to Disney World when the Holy Spirit comes in power. Ask Ananias and Sapphira who thought they could get away with things that they did get away with probably in former times. I think that was an habitual thing with them. Bang, dead. Bang, dead. You see? When the Holy Spirit comes, conditions change. Everything changes. In fact, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, there'll be times that your flesh will wish that he hadn't. You'll feel like the children of Israel with the pillar of fire at night and the cloud at the day and the manner and the miracles and the power, but lots of the times I thought, you know what, this is a bit too intense, can we go back to Egypt? And sometimes it's easier to live in a slavery mentality where there are relatively low levels of the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out because you can just carry on asleep, going at the low levels of spirituality that the church is at, no desire for change, no expectation of change, no faith for change, we've never seen change so we're not expecting change and we just continue to pass on to the next generation a low level of pre-Pentecostal experience. But God doesn't want us to do that, God wants us to prepare for the Spirit to come in power. You say, when will he come in power? I don't know. I'm hoping sooner than later, but at the same time, when I'm looking at where we are as people in Britain and Europe as a church, sometimes I'm thinking maybe later than sooner. And I have a great desire for the Holy Spirit to come in power. But I have a great 
what I believe is a godly fear or reverence or trepidation of when God would come in power. Because are we of the heart soil stature to be able to carry and steward great times of Holy Spirit outpouring? So the picture of the soil and the seeds and the environment changing. I mean, it's a little bit like if you're a gardener, which I'm not really, but, you know, this time in the garden, you know, everything, all the leaves are falling, all that type of thing, and you know that in a couple of months it's going to be bare, and you won't need to do much gardening. You won't need to, you can just leave it. Why? Because nothing's growing, everything's dead, everything's pulled back into itself and that's what the church does when the Holy Spirit's not in power if it's not careful it just pulls back into itself it just seems like it's dead it just grows lukewarm to cold it just huddles there and and it's winter time and it doesn't want anything but you know what happens when spring comes you know when, when the garden and the fields start coming to life and the conditions begin to change spring is here summer is here harvest is here and then, to try and keep even a basic garden uh, gardened is very difficult. Why? Not just because all the flowers and the good seeds and the bulbs are now alive, everything's awake, everything's growing. It, 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 it's life, it's life in the garden that, that was dead in winter. But also, you know, that the thistles and the thorns and, and the nettles and all these things are also in the same conditions growing. See, this is what I mean by when the Holy Spirit comes in power, the seeds of God and the work of God grows and grows. It's springtime, it's harvest time. But also the seeds of the flesh is stimulated in the same sort of environment. These things react, manifest and, and, and grow more evident and more intensified and also the work of Satan. If we understand these three things, then when the Holy Spirit comes in power, we'll have a better way or a better understanding of stewarding the power of God that's being poured out amongst us, but also understanding the dangers of what's in our heart. Because let me tell you something, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, whatever is of God in you, seeds that are growing or seeds that are latent yet to be germinated, whatever is of God of you will suddenly be blessed, intensified and grown. Let me tell you something, whatever of the flesh in you will also begin to rise up in a a power that you've not yet experienced. And also, if there's anything of a demonic stronghold in your mind, your philosophy, your your worldview, your life view that is, is demonic, that also you'll find will be excited. And so what is the key? Well, the key is to make sure that our hearts and the soil of our hearts are being thoroughly discipled and gardened. What if the Holy Spirit was to come in power in 2020 as we are preparing and saying, Lord, what do you want us to be and to do by 2020, end of 2020? We're saying that as a church. What if the Lord, what if we could be absolutely certain that the Holy Spirit on January the 1st, 2021, having finished the journey, would come in mighty Acts 2 Pentecostal power on Kensington Temple. I don't know if we have enough time to get ready for it. I don't know if we've got enough time to get our hearts ready for it. I don't know if you 
have got enough time, inclination or desire to get your hearts ready for such an outpouring of the power when the Holy Spirit comes? What if he was to come in two years? What if we had one year till the Holy Spirit was being poured out? What if we had six months? What type of intensive discipleship training, intensive seeking of the Lord, intensive withdrawal from things of the world, what type of self-deliverance from demonic delusion, what type of pressing in, what type of prayer, what type of, of work of God would need to take place on the inside of us, what type of intensity would take place in order for this us to be ready for when it came. Because if the Holy Spirit comes in power, my friends, then we're going to see hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people saved very, very quickly. And guess what? You're going to be their leaders. You're going to be their leaders. Are you ready to lead? Fives, tens, twenties, fifties. Are you, are you even on the road of thinking yourself as a leader? Do you even have a priority structure in your life where you would consider yourself available for leadership, available to disciple others? Because if not, what will take place is there can be a great harvest, but as we saw in the Welsh revival, that harvest was lost within a period of a couple of years because there was no discipleship that took place. The good news is, is that when the Holy Spirit gets near to being poured out in power, he begins to prepare the hearts of his people. If you can hear what the Spirit is saying at this time, he begins to prepare the hearts of his people that are prepared to be prepared. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. I mean, for, to say that the Holy Spirit, when he comes in power, he's already working powerfully. But the where, where the Holy Spirit is working very powerfully right now is he's attempting to work very powerfully in your heart. When you look and see what's been going on in your life for the last year, two years, the Holy Spirit has been attempting to do things in your heart to prepare you for his coming in power, whenever that might be. Sometimes we're open to the Holy Spirit's guidance and his work through the Spirit and the Word and we are adjusting and we are preparing and we are changing and we are cooperating. We are actually walking step by step in the Spirit. Some of us are too stubborn for that and therefore God is sending circumstance, circumstance in order to train you, in order to prepare you because there's not enough heart-to-heart -heart openness and communication with him. That's not to say that if you're going through a difficult time, you must be stubborn. But some of you are going through a difficult time because you're stubborn. You say, well, which am I? Find out. I don't know. The godly go through trials. But I've been around long enough to know how many times God has had to deal with me circumstantially because of stubbornness of heart, because he couldn't deal with me heart to heart. And I know circumstances that I've gone through that are circumstances that want because of a stubborn heart. They were the trials and tests that all believers in their own form. You hear what I'm saying? But one of my biggest prayers is, Lord, please have mercy on me. 
I know what you're trying to do, and I know what a fleshly person I am. Please, please, please have more mercy. Don't put me through the stubborn trials. Don't, don't, don't treat me like a donkey that won't move and isn't even interested in the carrot. Lord, do something deep inside me. Please, keep working. Keep, thank God he's patient. Don't, don't do what you've done in former times that when you couldn't move me on the inside, you found ways to move me on the outside because in the end, your will is more important than my will. That's what we're doing. We're getting the gardens of our hearts ready. Gardens of our hearts ready. So that we can carry and steward this. Think about the Acts of the Apostles. You know, a lot of people say on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came suddenly. And we Pentecostals, although we're not Pentecostals, we're pre-Pentecostals. We Pentecostals, we love that suddenly. Like any moment, the Holy Spirit is going to turn up. Well, he could, but he's taking his time in doing it in Britain and Europe. Suddenly, suddenly. It's like the people that prophesy and have been for the last 20 years. Oh, revival's just round the corner. 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 And they're going in circles. But actually, God is already doing a work of revival in those that are open-hearted to see what he's trying to do in his preparation and in his maturing of our hearts. This is what God is attempting to do. The disciples, they had to go three years, three years following Jesus wherever he went. I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy. Oh, there were some mighty moments, but there were some tragic moments. I mean, in the end, they all gave up, didn't they? Went back to their fishing boats. And Jesus taught them, but sometimes you almost feel the intensity of Jesus and almost not an exasperation because he knew what he was doing, but sometimes he, he didn't lose patience. But you know what I'm saying? It seemed like he lost patience. It was like, I've got to get you guys ready. We stop arguing about who's the greatest. Peter, I must go the way of the cross. Get back behind me, Peter, and follow me. I don't follow you. There's times when you see him in great... And what's this? Was it he lost pace? It was great urgency. Because he thought, I've got a limited time to train you and prepare you. And the training and the preparation was for when the Holy Spirit came in power. Tarry in Jerusalem. I don't want you going out there naked. I get clothed in Jerusalem. I don't want you operating like you used to operate as pre-Pentecostals. In my name, you cast out devils, you preach the gospel. No longer. I've trained you, I've prepared you, I've matured you. I've done incredible works in your heart. Some very painful, but all preparation. Now go, and for your final preparation, get on your knees for 50 days. And I'll pour out my spirit and power. Um, and by the end of it, Jesus, who had moved in revival with the Holy Spirit in power, and all these thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were flocking his ministry, and in the end, the day before the power, there's only 120 left. Not very good church growth policy, was it? He had the thousands, but the day before the power came, there were 120 left. But let me tell you something. They were God's elite. They, they, they were the God's special forces. They had done the training. They hadn't passed out on the first day or the second week. They completed the program. They had graduated. They had God's work in their hearts. And they were ready to carry what God was going to pour out. And when God poured it out, they were ready to steward it, ready to carry it. Didn't go to their head. 
In Acts, we see the same sort of stuff. The power of God comes on the first day, 3,000 are saved. In chapter 3, a lame man is healed. Pow, God's power all over the place. In an instant, in a couple of days, the church was 5,000 strong. They were arrested. The flesh rose up. You will not speak in this name anymore, or we will, we will imprison you, we will kill you, we will beat you. But they weren't bothered. Uh, then the devil rose up. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's one thing to lie to the Father, he's on his throne. It's one thing to lie to Jesus, he's on his throne. But when the Holy Spirit comes in power and he's right next to you in great intensity, better think twice about playing and being a fool. Stephen is persecuted. In chapter 8, persecution comes. Sorcerer Simon wants the power. And his, all these things are just illustrations of what I've already said. The power of God flows, church planting. Everything's wonderful, you think, except not in Corinth and not in Galatians. Why? Because the power of God was being poured out. But, on, but the people were not being taught or were, not, or were refusing to be taught discipleship. So the Corinthians loved the power of God, loved the gifts of God, but they took it for granted. They hadn't been with Jesus for three years. They hadn't paid the price. They hadn't had 50 days on their knees crying out to God to send his spirit so that when it came, it was very, very precious to them. To the Corinthians, the power of the Holy Spirit, because they were birthed in it, to the Corinthians, it was, uh, they took it for granted and kept on in their fleshly ways. And Paul had to deal very powerfully with them and disciple them through the ministry of love. The Galatians got legalistic. Their flesh arose in legalism, puffed up, self-congratulation, religion. It's amazing how the power of God can turn religion very quickly. And the Holy Spirit comes in power. Conviction of sin, righteousness and judgment is intensified. People that, that were nowhere near God come to him in moments. This is what we're talking about, great gatherings. People are convicted of sin. It bypasses their minds at times and reaches right into their hearts. They're convicted of the fact that Jesus died for them and they're convicted that the devil was destroyed. In times of great outpouring, emotions are touched very deeply. We see people cut to the heart when Peter preached. We see people's hearts burning when they walked with Jesus. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, that he, he comes, and more than people's minds, he touches their emotions. That's why we have to be grounded in Scripture, so that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we know how to steward what's happening, know what's the demonic, what's the fleshly, because many times when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, people don't know the difference between flesh and the spirit, Sometimes they don't know the difference between the spirit and the, the demonic. You say, is that possible? It's the history of revivals. To understand that God is whew, touching people at their core emotion, touching their emotions, touching their desires, overcoming them in his strength and his power and his love. Charismatic effects, left, right and centre. People responding to God, weeping, crying out, slain by the power of God, don't know what to do, undone by conviction power. People become emotionally stimulated like never before. These are not bad things, but they need to be stewarded and understood. Jonathan Edwards said this about the revival in America, and then I'll bring this to a close. He said, but yet it is evident 
that religion consists so much in affection, which is the word for emotion. But it is evident that religion, this is true religion, consists so much, as, so much in emotion as that without holy emotion there is no true religion. And no light in the understanding is good which is not produced, which does not produce holy emotion in the heart. No habit or principle in the heart is good which has no such exercise. And no external fruit is good. In other words, you know what moves you. You, 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 you if you think that you're one of these people that you strategize, you think you're cerebral. Actually, you are moved in life by your emotions. You are moved by your emotions. The choices that you make are more emotional than rational most of the time. Emotion. And if you're not touched emotionally, you're very demotivated to go in that direction. So when the Holy Spirit comes and touches you with the touch of God, I mean, one, I mean some of us have been around, one touch of God can change your life forever, can't it? Has anybody ever had... I mean, just, just one encounter with the Holy Spirit and you spent years trying to follow the Lord but you've got motivational problems, drive problems. In fact, your emotions are pulled by other things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the world. But one bang, the Holy Spirit comes to you in a dream, comes to you into a service. You walk out, you're dazed, you don't even know what's happened but you're never the same. As long as you then harness not enough just to have emotion. Harness that emotional uh, um, encounter into scriptural paths. The emotion of God will come very powerfully and what we need to do is make sure that that emotion is steered, harnessed and discipled down the scriptural path. That's why lots of people can be touched in emotion and then three three weeks later you don't even see them in church. That emotion, that drive, that encounter with God, they weren't helped with it, they weren't discipled, and that power and that emotional drive that came from the Holy Spirit was not harnessed for the kingdom principles of discipleship. And so when revival comes, we will find that many, many people will be very, very interested. But we won't be deceived by that. We'll have to disciple as many as we can Because what will happen is, very soon, persecutions, circumstances will get very, very difficult. I mean, it was like heaven on earth in those early days in Jerusalem. Everybody's getting saved, even the priests. But by chapter 8, everybody had to flee from Jerusalem because of a tremendous persecution. And all of a sudden, all those that were emotionally touched dwindled to those that were being discipled. As I come back to the beginning of my sermon, those who saw the glory of God, who felt the Spirit coming in power, and their reaction was to dig deeper in their hearts, to get out more of the thorns. See, the greatest reaction that we must have when the Holy Spirit comes in power is to be discipled, to deepen the work of God in our hearts. Because if we don't, it doesn't work. Let's pray. We believe, God, we pray, that Holy Spirit, that you will come in power in a fresh Pentecost in Britain and Europe. It's our only hope, Lord, that you would come and touch people with the good news. 
Lord, we can preach, but without your power, Lord, you understand these things. We've been praying and praying for the Holy Spirit to come in power. But Lord, we know that if you come in power, everything changes. And Lord, we already know, we know, we know, we know that you're already working powerfully in all of our hearts. He who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in your life right now. And the maturing, and the quiet talk, and the, and the small rebukes, and the encouragements of the Spirit in your life. God is going to need every single one of us, the weakest of us, the fleshliest of us. God is going to need every single one of us if he comes in power to disciple hundreds and thousands, perhaps millions of people. It's our only hope that he comes in power or else millions of people will die in their sins. It's our only hope. <laughs> We've got nothing else to live for, but he comes in power. Thank God for all he's doing through our ministries and churches right now. But hey, let's not fool ourselves. Millions and millions and millions of people, the vast majority of people in Britain and Europe today, should they die, would die in their sins. God knows that. Do we know that? But be encouraged, because God is building an army. It's time to get serious with God, yeah? It's time to get serious with one another. It's time to get serious with the Holy Spirit. And these things are not going to bring a depression into your life. They're going to bring joy and purpose. We've got four years. What if the Holy Spirit comes in a week? Wouldn't that, it would be wonderful and it would be awful. If the Holy Spirit came in power in one week's time on the Church of Britain and Europe. It would be glorious, it would be horrendous. It would be amazing, it would be disastrous. It would be brilliant, it would be terrible. It would be at once great. And let's face it, we're not ready. But he's making us ready.